Jeff Andrew of Time Out says this movie is far from sophisticated in its satire of narcissism, but enormous fun. Matt Ford of BBC.com says it's a clumsy but nonetheless amusing satire on the desperation of the beauty-obsessed movie industry. And Letterboxd user slash TV writer Demi Adijuibe says, I think it's messy and honestly probably a little sexist, but I also think it kicks ass. Bodies and beauty and aging are all simultaneously goofy and horrific, and it's fun to see a movie make... And it's fun to see a movie make that so explicit. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Death Becomes Her. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. I'm trying to tell if you're doing like a voice that has anything to do with the movie because you do that sometimes and I'm not getting anything from this one. I think it was it was a bit of a Madeline Ashton vibe. Uh, oh, OK, OK. Going All to right. it kind of that that husky kind of like if Kathleen Turner had played Madeline Ashton, which could have happened. Mind maybe. blown that just popped into my head. Yeah. But um, yeah, anyway, we're putting we're putting the cart before the Meryl Streep. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Ruin Childhoods, everybody. I want to thank Eric Gosselin, our guest on the last episode of the podcast. That was a lot of fun. I still yes. can't wash the taste of tango and cash out of my mouth, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> the, 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 the shiny, sweaty, salty the taste, the steel, <laughs> the grenade steel well, tang ugh. in your mouth. Uh yeah. Man, Tango and Cash is just so much fun, though. And uh, it was like, for me, that's always one that's kind of on the back burner as like, mm-hmm. I I know if I put that on, I'm going to enjoy it. Like if I, that's not one that I'm going to put on and like turn off after 15 minutes yeah. of being like, eh, not in the mood because it really has, it's got the comedy, it's got the action, oh, it's got shiny, shiny biceps and bare pecs and, and uh, butts, butts, and you know, in 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 many ways, yeah, um, ahead of its time. <laughs> and uh, it was such a surprise that that movie was Eric's sexual awakening. <laughs> We, I feel like we've tapped into something because um, when we talked to Gabrus for uh, Double Impact, that was kind of his sexual awakening. That is true. Oh, what man. Is it with our guests. And I mean, we don't have any guests today. I mean, I, I, I will get this out of the way. Death Becomes Her was not my sexual awakening. <laughs> in terms of a film. Um Yeah, I but we'll we'll talk a little bit about what this movie did do for for people in in a very surprising and I, unexpected way. 
And surprising and unexpected. I had no, I, you know, th- this just happened to come up because we're, you know, uh, talking about Eric's connection to Tango and Cash and Gabrus's connection to Double Impact. Is there, a, and this is getting a little personal and we're brothers, so weird question, but like, is there a movie that you can can kind of tie to a... a, a a sexual awakening, a if moment you will. of awakening a of age. Yes, I, not, none that none that stick out to me. I I'd say that certainly Eric distinctly remembers having a moment while watching Tango and Cash. I can't say that I have any situation like that. But I will be honest here, and and because it's now come up twice on the podcast, and yeah. I was just like. You know what? I think I do. And I, I would say for me, Crybaby, John Waters' Crybaby. Really? Yeah. Interesting. That, because like, I, I think I was, uh, you know, I must have been around like 13, like 12, 13 yeah. when I saw it. Uh, I think that one came out in, in 1990. And um, first of all, uh, you know, Amy Locaine, who we've talked about uh-huh. before from School Ties, you know, um, she just had this this like kind of um, sexiness about her. And there was that there's that one scene when he like teaches her how to French kiss. Oh. And when you're <laughs> I mean, when you're like when you're like, I've never done that before, but this is something that's been that it's on my bucket list, you know, uh, oh. <laughs> to to there we list. go. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, this is fascinating. So I, I would say <laughs> if I connect a movie to, uh, you know, to that, to sexual awakening, I'm so, and, and I mean, no offense to Eric or, or John, but, um, I, I'm very grateful that it's not an an action movie. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and uh, yeah. So John and I think John Waters would appreciate that. So uh, I think so too. I think yes. so too. I uh, so speaking of you know fringy filmmakers and fringy films, I uh, I do have some. Uh, some reboot news. This is going to come a little late because we're recording this one well in advance, just because we're taking advantage of some time flexibility that we have. Spring break. Woo. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, I did see that, um, the toxic Avenger reboot, speaking of the fringe, uh, it just added Jacob Tremblay to the cast, which I'm a Tremblaniac. So I'm all about it. When it comes to like little floor. kid actors, a, a Tremblaniac, you on know the floor. it. I, yeah, you know it. So, uh, so far we know it's Tremblay, Tremblay like you've and, never Tremblayed before. <laughs> Tremblay and uh, Peter Dinklage. So, so far, great cast for the Toxic Avenger reboot. Wow. Yeah. Um, I wonder if this is just going to kind of take the. Uh, you know, just the premise of the, how much of a remake it's going to be and how much it's going to be like, let's take the premise of the original and we're going to create it, create new characters, create a new world. I mean, I, I, I would think you'd have to keep it set in New Jersey. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll have to just wait and see. All you due know, respect when, to the motherland, but when you know. they did um, the toxic crusader television cartoon series, they certainly built on that 
universe and you know changed the 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 main character a little bit and they added some additional very strange characters to it so i wonder if they're gonna to draw from that or have any nods to the toxic crusader series that i definitely watched when i was a kid (laughs) oh yeah there are some I, like moments from it. I, I can't even describe them, but like images from that show that are like burned into my brain. I mean, I guess maybe perhaps that was your awakening. Was, it wasn't. Uh, so we're yeah. not going to try and like reach for something here. It's just not there. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm just saying the why, yeah. you know. Uh, but so, I'm really excited. That, What's up? I was curious. No, I was, I was curious to see if Mitch Cohen, who played the toxic Avenger originally was uh was going to be appearing mitch and mitch cohen not to be confused with the eugene levy character of uh in a mighty mitch and mickey cohen so (laughs) yes but mitch cohen uh played toxic avenger i think all the way through uh citizen toxie toxic avenger four in 2000 so yeah i i don't know it would be i i would hope that you know i always like when there's some involvement when you're honoring the legacy of a classic um you know whether it's a cult classic or you know a mainstream classic if there is not a lloyd kaufman cameo i'll be very surprised no what was i watching recently what I feel like there was something recently where there was a Lloyd Kaufman cameo. I don't know if it was something I was watching or something that was referenced, but weird. Weird. Yeah. Well, I'm very exciting. I'm very exciting. I'm very excited to be you talking about. I am. Hey, thanks. I'm very excited to be talking about Death Becomes Her today. And it gave me an opportunity to rewatch this movie that I hadn't seen in so long. And um, man, what a trip. It, it's funny because. You know, I probably haven't seen this since around the time it was out, maybe at the latest mid 90s. Mm. And, you know, I remember it as being more of, I think, what people think of when they think about this movie, more of that like middle section where Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep are fighting each other and just kind of falling apart and getting twisted and turned and stuff like that. And uh, forgotten about so much of what this movie is. Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot more to it. And it's, you know, this is a movie that came out in summer 92. I think it came out like late July 92. I saw it. I want to say I saw it. Um, the It was the last day of, of summer vacation. So <laughs> it must because I feel like I remember being like, OK, last day I can, you know, go on a, I don't know, Tuesday and catch the matinee uh, <laughs> at the Cranford Twin. And yep. so it, it must have still been playing Death. Be- I think it was like Death Becomes Her and in like Digstown might have been. If <laughs> if I had to wager money on the other movie that was playing there, it, it would I would I would wager Digstown. But uh-huh. um, it was very- uh, it was released the same weekend as <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Baby's Kids, Baby's Kids, which I saw at a friend's uh, birthday party movie. You they know, don't die. Experience. They multiply. I, which I have was, not, I've never seen yeah. that, actually. Uh, Robin Harris. It's very good. You know, it's 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 not a kid's movie. <laughs> no. Yeah. And um, 
you know, it probably was like a friend's like 10th birthday or something. And yeah, I remember <laughs> oh, it was I my thought friend. you meant like in your 20s. I thought you were no, like, yeah, no, 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 friend, no, no. Like, it was got wasted and watched babies. It was uh, shout out to childhood friend Paul Marmo. It was for his birthday that that opening weekend we saw it. But nice. um, okay. yeah, I, Death Becomes Her opened number one at the box office and uh, yeah, beating out Buffy and Bebe. Yeah, so I must have seen it. I must have seen it like, you know, definitely later in the summer. I have, I have a very strong memory of it being the last day before the the start of the new school year. So, I imagine it had some staying power and it just, but I feel like I August feel like 90 it says a lot about our family that <laughs> the day the last day of freedom before having to go back to school you know, one of us would choose to sit in a movie theater for two hours and not be outside enjoying like a summer day. I mean, if it was raining, that's a different story. But like, you know, sitting at that point, though, movie theater. <laughs> at that point, though, how many summer days had had there already been, you know, too many? Get me yeah. in a movie theater. It was we're talking like late August, early September. It's humid. It's uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm New Jersey. I, and I, by the way, like rode my bike to the movie theater. So you earned it. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure with that one I like rode my bike to. Yeah. So um, yeah, exactly. Because like 15 minutes of riding your bike equals, you know, whatever balances out two hours of sitting in a movie theater and eating like Twizzlers or some shit. and. Yeah. <laughs> Watching Goldie Hawn and is, Meryl Streep go at each other. Are Twizzlers your preferred movie theater snack or maybe even as just a child preferred movie theater snack? We Twizzlers, never talk about this kind of thing. We don't. No. Um uh in fact Twizzlers were probably the longest standing um but like I would get a big bag. I'd get like a big bag and I would share it if I was going with people. But like I ate 75% of that yeah. bag. <laughs> um, I definitely like I Twizzlers were were probably the longest standing movie snack. And um, yeah, I would say that these days it, it's more of a like, if anything, popcorn I th I think that when I was younger, I was more of like an M and M's kid, and I mm. uh, in my and I never was really a popcorn person up until a few years ago. I started getting into doing uh, popcorn at movies, and um, it's like the kind of thing where it's like it always starts off great, and then once I get like fifty percent through, I'm like, uh, now I have to deal with this bag or bucket of you know, weird kernels and who knows, oh. you know, the, the drudges of the, uh, of the popcorn experience. It's a major test. If, if I can leave that, like that extra 50% or, um, you know, if I'm sharing with, with Alicia, my wife, uh, which is usually the case, you know, it might get a little bit lower than that, but still it's like, it's a major test of willpower to not just kind of continuously grab, uh, especially because I feel like a lot of these, like, you know, and, and I just, I haven't been to a movie theater in 
Uh, well, the last time I went to a movie theater was uh, when we saw yeah. 1917 in, in Alamo Austin, Draft House in Alamo Austin. Draft House, yeah. So, um, but that's I think I saw kind Birds of, of Prey after that. Yeah. Now, 1917, 1917 was was definitely my last uh, theatrical film. Before that, uh, I believe was uh, Bad Boys for Life. And and I have to say, our experience, uh, we're talking about eating at the movies. When you're at the Alamo Draft oh. House, you don't get popcorn. You don't get Twizzlers. Uh, I believe that there were fried pickles involved. And I think there I had were... a banh mi sandwich. Yes. It's a whole thing. But there's nothing like watching a, a World War One epic drama that, you know, nothing enhances that experience than a banh mi sandwich. And fried pickles. I mean, I'd, it wasn't a Vietnam War film, so that, that would have That been. is true. That is true. Although, I mean, I, f- I feel like that might have been, like, that would be the respectful move to make. I, um, you know, I, I don't, don't know. know. I think that I would avoid taking that, that risk. But I'd say anyway, that for Death Becomes Her, the proper movie theater snack would probably be a giant can of frosting. <laughs> oh, I think it's the only thing that God. anybody eats in this movie. That, yeah, I mean, that's, and that, well, I think that's just like one scene, but my God, it's just grotesque. It's graphic. Yeah. It is, it is, it's probably the thing, like, of all of the, like, you know, bloody gaping holes in people that, that we see and all the things that happen, like, like just Goldie Hawn, like doing a two finger dip into that frosting can. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Wow. As she's watching, uh, uh, a movie where her nemesis is being strangled. Well, oh. you know what? It, why don't we? Why don't we get to the? Let's. So Shall let's we talk synopsize? About, we're in. It's it's August. It's late August, early September, nineteen ninety two. I, uh, you know, I'm I'm getting rest from being out in in the outdoors for for a good twenty minutes <laughs> and settling in to watch Death Becomes Her. John, what am I seeing for the next uh, about two hours? <laughs> a little bit it's what every hours. little kid is so fascinated by. Aging actress Madeline Ashton is as vain as they come, and when she meets famed plastic surgeon Dr. Ernest Menville, she knows that she must have him. This is a bonus because he happens to be engaged to her longtime frenemy, Helen Sharp, from whom Madeline has stolen two other boyfriends. Years after Ernest and Madeline are married, Helen is fixated on the idea of killing Madeline as she falls deeper and deeper into depression. Years into their broken marriage, Madeline and Ernest are invited to a book premiere party for none other than Helen Sharp. Expecting to see Helen looking large and sad, they see Helen more gorgeous than ever. Knowing that she must make a drastic change, Madeline finds the answer to her problems. Liesel von Rumen, the keeper of a potion that makes you immortal and ageless. While she is taking the potion, Helen is with Ernest, planning to murder Madeline, who has been cruel and merciless to both Helen and Ernest for years. When Madeline arrives home with her new and improved appearance, she and Ernest begin to have it out, resulting in Madeline pushing Ernest over the edge to the point that he literally pushes her over the edge, of the stairs that is. Ernest immediately calls Helen to tell her about what happened as Madeline lies mangled beyond repair at the bottom of the steps. 
As he and Helen speak, Madeline puts herself back together and confronts Ernest, her head all the way turned around 180 degrees. They rush to the hospital where the doctor is puzzled. Madeline feels no pain and has no pulse. Left unattended by the doctor and Ernest, she is zipped up in a body bag after fainting and taken to the morgue. Ernest finds her and they head home. Waiting for them is Helen, who is shot in the gut by Madeline. With a hole inside of her the size of a basketball, Helen gets back up. She and Madeline work out their past grudges with shovels and realize they both have seen Liesel. Ernest has had enough and decides to peace out for good, but Helen and Madeline convince him to patch them up first, as he has spent the past several years fixing up dead bodies' appearances at the Forest Lawn Cemetery. They soon realize that they'll need him to do this for the rest of time, so they bring him to Liesel's mansion just in time for her annual client party, featuring the likes of Andy Warhol, Marilyn Monroe, Elvis, and Jim Morrison. He refuses to take the potion and attempts to flee the scene. He manages to get it unscathed as Helen and Madeline face an eternity of literally falling apart. <laughs> so, uh, Madeline is played by Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis plays Ernest Menville, Goldie Hawn plays Helen, Isabella Rossellini is Liesel, um, we have uh, special appearances by Sidney Pollack, uh, who plays the Doctor, um, Fabio is one of Liesel's bodyguards, Deborah Jo Rupp is in there a little bit um yeah she's so, in the uh the the clinic scene the clinic. when uh when goldie hawn is is in the group therapy scene right. also with um elena oh what's her last name um she was olivia on sesame street and she was on 227 elena reed hall yes elena reed hall um yeah. who uh you know pops up as as like the least effective therapist Ever. Yeah, I know. Uh, she just like yells. She was like, pulls she's like, Goldie. stop talking about this person. Blah 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 blah. She's like, you won't shut up. You haven't yeah. lost a pound. And I'm like, ooh, like this is yeah, this is death therapy. Um, death so, therapy. So, oh, while we're talking about the casting, all right. So first of all, like Isabella Rossellini. I remember even uh, had I not already had my um, awakening, <laughs> awakening with Crybaby, <laughs> Isabella Rossellini in this movie would have would have certainly uh, been it. Um, yeah, she's only ever wearing like this giant bejeweled necklace that's and a barely covering anything and a sarong. And she wears she's them well. She's so perfect. She's, she's so wonderful. perfect. Um, it was hard to, to watch her and not for a moment think of, of, uh, her mother, yeah. Ingrid Bergman, uh, who, you know, after watching her not too long ago at Gaslight. Yeah. Um, but Isabella Rossellini, it's like, ah, uh, she, she has, th there's a quality that she has that I can't think of many other actors at this, at the moment, I can't think of any other actresses who have it. And, um, it's. It's this combination of, uh, it's like she's a raw nerve. And yeah. I think more of like Isabella Rossellini in Blue Velvet, um, mm -hmm. you know, especially as as her, her character kind of unravels in that. Here she kind of stays in one place. I, I mean, until the end when she's, yeah. you know convincing uh Ernest to take the potion or trying to convince him. Oh yeah. Him. Yeah, um, let's listen to that. Let's listen to that moment yeah. really quick. That's what you do. This is what you've always done. Stop time in people's faces and in their hands. 
You are like Don Quixote, tilting at nature's windmill. Drink it. Go on. It is the completion of your life's work. You gave other people youth and wasted your own. Drink. And you'll be able to work again, forever. Drink. Drink, Dr. Menville. You owe yourself another chance. Drink. It's the right choice. The only choice. Drink. Siempre viva. Live forever. She's so good. You know who only other name that comes to mind is Angelina Jolie. Yeah, and but there's something not about to the extent. Not yeah, to there's the extent. something about Isabella Rossellini that like I don't know. I think that because she makes interesting acting choices like Blue Velvet, you know, there it keeps her in this like this place of, you know, mysterioso that like Angelina Jolie has gone so mainstream that I think right. that and she's so public that I think that you kind of you would kind of lose it a little bit. Uh, you know, it definitely makes you think of Angelina Jolie's Billy Bob Thornton era with the like vials of oh, blood the and vial stuff of like blood. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird. But, uh, certainly not pushing tin. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Odd little movie. Yeah. uh, And also, Bruce Willis is so good in this. I love seeing him do these types of roles. Now, and of course, in in 1992, this is, uh, this is, I guess it's kind of against type for Bruce Willis. I think Bruce Willis doing uh, Moonlighting really kind of helped people see him in you know, like where he could cross over much more easily than like a, a Stallone who by the, this like, and what brings this to mind is I was watching, uh, Godfather three, the re the Coppola recut oh, of Godfather three. Mm-hmm. And I was reading some trivia on it and saw that Sylvester Stallone almost played, uh, the, the role that I think, uh, Andy Garcia. Huh ended up playing and i was like that would have just been like no matter how good and like still i love copland um you know oscar things like that but stallone in a godfather movie it, it just you out of he it. couldn't cross over whereas like bruce willis has done those crossovers i mean in 1992 billy bathgate um yeah was that year or the year before um, yeah well i mean you know bonfire of the vanities not the really ba- really getting <laughs> a start well. with moonlight which was a comedy a- what's that moonlighting Moonlighting. What did I say? Not to be confused with Moonlight. Oh, right. Moonlighting, which was a, a comedy. You know, that's it was when he did uh, Die Hard. That was really his crossover moment. So it's like him kind pro- of coming back to doing comedy. A and blind, it's, blind Date. That blind was the date, one he did That was another that. comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So it's like, I feel like it's such a shame that he's kind of been stuck in the, you know, more of the action-y movies and and, i mean obviously he's done other things like the sixth sense and uh you know the other like m night Shyamalan kingdom moonrise kingdom yeah and it's like his his role in moonrise kingdom is 
kind of similar to Ernest Menville. It's like, you know, it's a quirky and comedic without being overtly funny role. Now, and now, and as good as Bruce Willis is in this, I'm sure, John, you probably also read this. Uh, Kevin Klein was originally yeah. cast as Dr. Ernest Menville. And as good as Bruce Willis is, I'm like, I want the Klein cut. I want <laughs> to see, I'm imagining like Kevin, like early nineties, Kevin Klein, like this is like in the same era as Soap Dish. I'm imagining yeah. Soap Dish era Kevin Klein. He's so good. As Dr. Menville. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, well, you know, he would have played it uh, oh, a little bit more broad. Um, I think that he would have been a little bit more cartoonish in a good way. He, I think he, I think it would have been very, I think it would have been very close to Soap Dish. I think he would have played it more physical. Yes. Yeah. It would have been a, a but I think like it, it wouldn't have been as what's interesting about watching Bruce Willis do it is it's it's incongruous. Like it, Bruce Willis doesn't quite fit, but it's like he's good at it. Yeah. So like I thought he was great. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I it's an interesting performance, but I keep thinking I'm like, oh, my God, Kevin Klein would be so much funnier. Yeah. In this, and I even thought about and and thinking about Bruce Willis, uh, thinking about like Kurt Russell, who we talked about on Tango and Cash episode, being someone who kind of he can go back and forth between the you know action roles and non action roles, you know, and Kurt Russell, obviously the connection to Goldie Hawn, um, yeah. I don't know if I, I could I, see him playing like a dweeb the way that Ernest is. He um, does it. He it's yeah. That's the thing. Like he can do it. He like I think in Big Trouble, Big Trouble in Little China, yeah. he has that part where he does like. But it's right. It's he does not, his like nerd voice. He can't swing the, in that direction as far as Bruce Willis can. No, no. I mean, I think that when he takes his comedic turns, it's something more like Captain Ron, where, you know, it's just a, a cartoonish character in real life. Captain Ron is kind of like, you know, Snake Plissken's like, <laughs> I, I don't know. He's like the Chet Hanks to Snake Plissken's Colin, <laughs> if you will. Oh, man. Captain uh, Ron had had more than a few white boy summers. <laughs> I, I would hope that Colin Hanks would feel very honored to be put in the same category as Snake Plissken. Um, well, if they ever remake... No, no I'm just kidding. Colin yeah. Hanks would not be... No offense to Colin Hanks. Um... But he would not be my first choice as Snake Plissken. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, I think that Bruce Willis is great. Isabella Rossellini is amazing. Um, talking about Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep, the two well. of them, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, they're so fantastic together. It, it's upsetting to me that um, Meryl Streep had such a not great time on the set of this movie, you know, dealing with all the visual effects stuff and not really vibing with um, Robert Zemeckis so much. But I think that the end product, you know, it's really it's it still holds up. It's a lot of fun to watch, you know, when she's got her head on backwards and is trying to walk around and sit down. It's so much fun. And yeah. All right. Meryl Streep 
has earned every bit of praise yeah. she gets. Meryl Streep, and she the scene when she's backstage after that musical where everybody's getting up in the middle of it. I love that opening. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, of course, it's a musical adaptation of Sweet Bird of Youth, which is about a, a fading, aging movie star. And, and this yeah. movie, by the way, also has a major Sunset Boulevard vibe. Oh, totally. With it. And... Uh, I love when she's getting ready because Helen and and Ernest are waiting to meet her. And and she's just like the little th- adjustments that she's making in how ha- in practicing her expressions, her 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 surprise expression. It's so good. I mean, goddamn, she does comedy. Yeah. So amazingly well. And mm-hmm. I believe that's her doing her own singing. Yeah, she sings. Mamma Mia, yeah. hello. Yeah, I mean, God, what what can't she do? Uh, <laughs> seriously. I, and and Goldie Hawn, I well, really thriving in the um in the in the comedic performances and, and you know, having to go through a lot of different phases in this character's life, you know, kind of like the the mousy nobody and then the psychotic um you know eating from a can of frosting thinking about killing her former friend and this is i i just want to pause here for a moment because this is also a segment in the movie that i feel like does not age well and i know like we'll get to the discussion of of you know remakes and reboots and everything and i don't think this really fits into that discussion but it's typical of movies into the early 90s and i'm thinking of other comedies like like the dream team which i enjoy um but crazy people i think the mm-hmm. treatment of mental illness oh totally is was so much broader than and i um you know and watching it i just had to kind of have a moment where i was checking myself and just saying like okay this First of all, this is a this is not a realistic movie. This is a yeah. cartoonish movie and it plays on stereotypes and it kind of plays on these things. So it didn't necessarily like bother me or take me out, but it was just kind of a checkpoint for me. Yeah, I I agree and also you know when they have somebody who is famously you know svelte in a fat suit um i you know it's it doesn't sit well with the times now and you know it's kind of like a cheap joke i think that the time when it's worked the best was like in uh, um avengers endgame with thor where it's just like he's he's just drinking beer all the time and not well, doing yeah. anything like that. It works there because it's not the fact that he's overweight. That's the joke. It's the fact that, you know, he's drunk all the time and playing video games and yeah, it's done. He, just, it's he doesn't done, give it's a shit better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and you also know, like he's going to bounce back. Like, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, cut to the next scene, the six pack is back and well, no, it's not. He's, he's big the entire movie, but he still kicks ass. I, 
Yeah. I mean, whatever. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes, exactly. That is absolutely fine because that's not the if joke. He, it would I would have a problem with it if he all of a sudden did have the like 15 pack or whatever it is. You know, it's like he still manages to like do awesome things with the gut. Of course, we can all do awesome things with a gut. <laughs> you and I are doing it right now. Oh, it's happening. It's happening. All right. So anyway, back to Death Becomes Her. What I love also is, and this is something that I did not pick up on then, but now it just is very blunt and obvious, but the mad hell. Hell, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's... Uh, Earn earn mad earn hell yeah yeah so um yeah the the names are very specific yeah and, and it's and so, so just go uh, going back to uh bruce willis's character for just a second so he was this like famed plastic surgeon and then uh, he starts drinking constantly and his hands shake nonstop. So the only work he can get is as, you know, you know, making up dead bodies. He's he's the Jamie Lee Curtis in My Girl of Death Becomes Her, <laughs> but on a much larger scale where he's like renowned for the way that he makes these, you know, Hollywood dead people look essentially. And it's by doing that that he knows how to make dead bodies appear so vivacious which is what uh mad in hell take advantage of and at the end of the movie they are just like busted beyond repair and are relying on the the tricks they learned from Ernest, you know to spray paint you know and and that's always kind of peeling off it's just gross oh that that end the the end with the two of them i mean well I don't know. This is not a spoiler alert, but uh, movie came out in 92. Yeah. Yeah. They're at and they're at Ernest's, you know, funeral, um, you know, after he dies of of old age um, and like, you know, redeems his his legacy. In fact, nobody even knows about him before he he becomes like, you know, this philanthropist and, yeah humanitarian and yeah yeah they're like we don't know much about him before he met you know his wife at age 50 and right in the whole and it's a, this whole thing about how he he learned the true meaning of immortality and that's to like leave a, a lasting impression and blah 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 so yeah yeah, yeah. so then the and two, the of, two them of them are, just, are cackling in the back yeah they're terrible they Aww. deserve each other for eternity yeah <laughs> <laughs> they sure do. Yeah. Um, so here's a quick clip of uh, when they realize that they're not going to have Ernest living forever to patch them up. Oh, yeah. Yes? Nothing. No. It's too late now. He got away. Damn. I told you we should have gone to the airport first. Oh, you said no such thing. Well, I knew he wasn't going to come back here. Well, you just have all the answers, ah, don't you? Look at this. I'm peeling. Oh. I'm peeling already. <gasps> oh, me too. Who's going to fix this? We're in trouble. Uh-huh. Ernest is gone. We can't go back to Liesel's. She specifically told us to take care of our bodies. And look at us. Uh. We're dead. Uh. Oh, this is so embarrassing. No, no. You know what this is? This is just simply a, a question of uh, maintenance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is upkeep. We just have to be very, very careful with ourselves. We have to take care of each other. Mm-hmm. I'll paint your ass, you paint mine. <laughs> 
Who could have imagined yeah. you and me I know. together, <laughs> depending on each other, <laughs> painting each other's houses? <laughs> Day and night. Yeah, forever. <laughs> So there, you know what I I know we were talking before about you know that that Meryl Streep had her her complaints and I mean this was really before like right on the verge of Robert Zemeckis really going off like the special X special X special effects um yeah. like deep end but um like I thought the visual effects in this were probably like the coolest I had seen since Terminator 2 granted it had been like a year yeah but, yeah right um like you know when ILM was doing the visual effects and it's cool yeah and and getting back to Meryl I I I can't help but think that like 2000s Meryl I feel like this was still like trying to rack up the Oscar noms Meryl <laughs> and I feel like like 2000s Meryl would have I don't think the performance would have necessarily been different, but I feel like she would have perhaps had more fun if she well, didn't if I wonder if she was just like kind of like standing there like in front of a green screen and, and just being like, this is not going to get me a nomination. <laughs> like I could be doing something with an accent right now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, when we're talking about movies like Into the Woods or, uh, you know, she shows up in Mary Poppins Returns, another moment where she's singing, uh, you know, it's these like crazy, wacky characters. And I feel like, you know, her performances the past decade or so, she's really just been like saying, you know, what, screw it. I'm just going to like do some weird oh, stuff and have fun, do some ABBA songs. I feel like she's like, yeah, this is what I feel like doing. This is what I'm going to do. It's almost it's kind of like she's retired, but still but still working because she's just like, I don't have to give a shit if I want to play dress up. If I want to play 1900s dress up, I'm going to go. I'm going to knock on this set of Mary Poppins and say, I'm here. What do you got for me? Yeah, and I mean, like, then there's that that's sort <laughs> I know of that's movie not how from it last works. year. Yeah, exactly. But I know that's her. not how it works. But I, I'm like, I well, she still gets like, not that the award. I, I am. I'm certainly not saying that like awards and award nominations ever. I do not speak for Meryl Streep. I don't know her <laughs> feeling on it. Um, and I'm sure she probably just would have had a, a, a happy career being able to play the role she's played and not getting any nominations. But right. The fact is, like, girl gets nominated for Oscars. And, like, that's what she does. She absolutely does. Yeah. Absolutely does. And, and, but I like, you know, we're, we're going gaga here over Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. She's (sighs) wonderful. I think of First Wives Club. I think, like, 90s Goldie Hawn. Oh, yeah. I mean, 80s Goldie Hawn as well, and for that matter, 70s Goldie Hawn, but it's kind of like each, there's like each incarnation, like, like 70s Goldie Hawn, I think of like Sugarland Express, Mm -hmm. mostly, and then 80s, it's very much this, like, whether it's like something like Overboard, Overboard, or Wildcats, um, you know, where she's kind of doing that, like, I've got responsibilities, but I'm uh-huh. going to do my thing. Like, I'm going to go like protocol, I think, is another one from that era. And uh, bird on a wire. 
It's the first wire, ticket stub right? I ever collected. Well, I mean, if we're talking <laughs> early 80s, yeah, Private Benjamin. Private you know, Benjamin. Certainly an interesting performance there. Is another one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, like, Goldie Hawn's fantastic. And uh, I, I'm trying to think of any of, of what she's been doing recently other than... The, not much like, there's those christmas chronicle movies that she does with kurt with yeah she was in that movie snatched with amy schumer um but aside oh, from right. that there really hasn't been much uh she did like the banger sisters like but that's several like years, years earlier. ago yeah with susan sarandon i like mm-hmm. the banger sisters i thought that was a good movie yeah so i don't know she she doesn't she clearly doesn't feel the need to just like keep on doing stuff to keep on doing stuff i'm just i'm i'm going off because i also i was thinking after i watched you know as i was as i was finishing this watching death becomes her i was like what a great double feature this would make with the witches of eastwick yeah and i was thinking about just like the all the the those actresses and i know like michelle pfeiffer has been um has been working more recently, but I yeah. think about like from Michelle Jackson. Pfeiffer, um, Susan Sarandon, Gina Davis. Um, so, okay. You do a quadruple feature. I'm trying to, I'm like, still... I want to see an expendables of, of like, you of know, the first ones, uh, but like, yeah, like throw in, fuck it, throw in Bette Midler, Barbara Streisand. Oh yeah. Barbara Streisand for sure. I mean, why not? Like that's cause you think about, Bar- I mean, think about Barbara Streisand, Prince of Tides. Yeah. Was, I mean, she, you know, she didn't do as much, but like, you know, nuts. Yeah. With Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about this movie and thinking about the, the mark that it's made because yeah, you know, it opened number one at the box office. It's, it certainly suffered a bit from being overly cut down. You kind of lose a lot of the, I don't know. I'm, Tr- I, Tracy Ullman. You lost you Tracy Ullman. You lose Tracy Ullman, which how do you get rid of Tracy Ullman? But also, this movie has done something that uh, the first Wives Club also did, is that it's been a kind of a uh, a, a big movie in the drag community. Very much so. Yeah, so I uh, I don't know as much about that. I, I've seen some articles about how it's really had a, a, a second life in the drag community, which I think is is wonderful. I mean, it, who who doesn't love uh, something talking about uh, vanity and appearance more than the, the drag community? Well, yeah, and I mean, and about also just about like tying that and feeling like. I need to be like, this is, you know, in a sense, if you look at it from the perspectives of these characters, they're like, I need to be who I am. This is yeah. who I am. And, um, you know, especially for a character like Helen, who, hell. you know, hell, you know, who comes out of hell. She she yeah. comes out of um you know, in the obsession, yeah, I think the the obsession aspect of it, and um, but I I do think I think like that, you know that that's a li- that can be a little off putting, but the there is also that moment where they realize like he's not like he's just a tool, <laughs> like, yeah, 
it, almost literally he he's just he's a tool he's here to to service us and they finally like they realize i think that's when they kind of like really come together and w- when they're like we don't care about him as a person no <laughs> like we just care about his skill and he's someone that we both know that can that like that's his one skill that's his right. one thing. And it's funny because um, I was thinking about how he doesn't drink the potion. Yeah. There's also that moment earlier when they, they try to kill him. Um, yeah. Or they, yeah, they try, or they try to knock him well, out the, with the, the drink. And that's oh, when yeah. he decides to stop drinking to and stop he pours drinking. The, the drink out. So, and as we learned at his funeral, they, um, he has a, an AA, he has set up an AA situation and that'll yeah. be part yeah. of his legacy. So, um, um but, but also what you- one of the other things about him is not just that he was a tool, but up until that point, he was extremely loyal and uh, was, you know, completely castrated in servitude of either one of these women. And, he was just completely helpless and yeah, maybe it was the alcohol that kind of kept him tied down, but, uh, certainly comes out of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a great moment for him. And, uh, also just to bring it back, I wanted to actually cite a great article. I, I, I read about the, the legacy of death becomes her in, uh, the LGBTQ plus communities, particularly, uh, the drag community. And, um, it's a vanity fair article by Christy Puchko. I, 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 what an appropriate, uh, appropriately titled magazine to be covering something about death becomes her well yes i mean that it just it makes sense um and it's it was published in the on the 25th anniversary of the movie coming out so it's from august uh 2017 and um it it definitely outlined like you know there are a lot of um you know drag queens who um you know are known from being on shows like you know uh drag race um and you know are basically professional models they mm-hmm. um you know it's like they cite this movie as something that kind of calls out to them and says like you're not an outcast you can take control you can take the the power and you don't like, own if, me maybe hello yeah, first wife club exactly exactly yes this pairs wonderfully with first wives club oh yeah uh so and you know it just it, it goes to show it's like why is it not old news that um you know women can headline uh you know and carry a, a you know a, a classic you know blockbuster yeah because you've got you've got first wives club you've got death becomes her you you've got 9 to 5 i mean like these are all you know legit classics i think i uh, i i agree we're talking about them right now anyway so, so yeah. they're legit classics but do we is there is there life after death becomes her Ooh, well there there have been rumors well first of all there there's i think a Kristen chenoweth musical that 
I, I don't think that it actually has happened unless no it as of I think it was 20... maybe announced in 2017 but it was um playbill uh on december 13th 2017 um announced it that it, it was in the works there was not uh, a team working on of course the original screenplay written by david kep who wrote um a jurassic park uh screenplay also um i don't know like if it made a lot of money in the 90s he oh yeah we talked about him at length during one episode i can't remember which yeah. one um and martin donovan i don't think the the actor martin donovan though i may be mistaken yeah anyway so also there has been a rumor and and this is as of um august of last year there was a rumor that there was going to be a remake uh, that would star, I want to say, Anne, yeah, Anne Hathaway, Robert Downey Jr., and um, Lady Gaga Kate. as in the uh, Isabella Rossellini role. Kate Hudson clearly um, taking over for her mother. Yeah. So as far as I can tell, this is all just rumors, not rumors, but. Uh, would be interesting. I mean, here's something from Entertainment Weekly that was around that same time where it's just kind of echoing that rumor, but saying, like, there's nothing to prove that this is actually true, but me, you know, it, who knows? It was something. Uh, so I saw it on uh, CheatSheet.com. That's, yeah, uh, I saw that too. Yeah, and basically, yeah, they were like, there's no evidence that this is anything other than just, like, basically, like, us. us. If if someone heard us, like, and they only heard this part, and they were like, wait a second, there's going to be a remake with RDJ and Hathaway and Kate Hudson? What? Romney yeah. Downey Jr. Field? What? <laughs> See, the thing is, like... And just to talk about that for a second, I think that Lady Gaga in the Isabella Rossellini role would be great. Um, yes. I think that Anne Hathaway would be very good in that role, but I don't know if... I don't know. She still plays so young in my mind that I don't know if I would so buy it. Yeah. Um... And Kate Hudson, I just don't think is at that... I don't know. She's just not quite there for this, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was funny because before I read about that, I was thinking of a remake. And I was just like, okay, who are the first people that that come to mind if I was recasting these roles? And honestly, the first three names that came up were Emma Stone, Blake Lively, and Jonah Hill. I was just thinking Blake Lively, and I don't know why. Um, I think I was thinking about her role in A Simple Favor, where, you know, it's kind of this, like, weird thrillomedy, to quote the poster for arachnophobia. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, and she's very good. I don't know if she's quite at that level. You know, it's like we don't have the the age of, like, Meryl, the Meryl Streep. And I don't mean the age age. I mean the era of, like, a Meryl Streep Goldie Hawn uh that that type of persona, the Barbara Streisands, the Bette Midler, Meryl Streepy, Goldie Hawny, Meryl Streepy, Goldie Hawny, Kathy Najimy in uh, um, Fisher King, in Fisher King, yeah. Oh my God, that is so funny. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, no, no. I totally, I get what you're saying. So, I, oh, so then, what if you went like the Kate Blanchett, Sandra Bullock? Like, 
the Kate Ocean's Blanchett. 8 cast. Oh, shit. Well, like, Kate, I would almost want to see, like, Helena Bonham Carter, Kate Ocean's Blanchett. Eight? Yeah, I mean, yes, basically, <laughs> I am I am mixing and matching in the Ocean's 8 cast because Rihanna yes. as the Isabella Rossellini character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or Aquafina, if you want to go in a different direction. Aquafina would be the doctor, the Sidney Pollock character. Oh my God. Can we, and thank you. I'm glad we came back to Sidney Pollock because Sidney Pollock is so good. In yeah. This let's scene. listen to a bit of that scene. <laughs> I love oh, it. I fell down the stairs. Whoopsie. Anything broken? I don't think so. I mean, it would hurt, wouldn't it? Oh, I should think so, yeah. Maybe my wrist, I don't know, but my neck feels sort of sore. Yeah. Your, well, let's have a little look at you here. Which wrist is it? Right. Uh, does it hurt when I do this? No. Doesn't? Mm-mm. How about this? Nope. Um, okay. This? Mm, no. Mm-mm. This doesn't hurt? Mm-mm. No. He's bending her hand all the way back. Are you telling me it doesn't hurt when I do this? It doesn't hurt. I told you that. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, what's this, uh, what's this you're talking about with your neck? (laughs) Well, uh, first of all, I kind of turn it, you know. Maybe you, maybe you just Oh! Okay. Right, I see. Uh, gotcha. Shock. What about shock? Maybe you should... It could be shock. Check for shock. Could be shock. He's testing the stethoscope, making sure it works because he is not getting a heartbeat. <clears throat> Gets a bigger what? stethoscope. What is it? What's the matter? It's, uh, well, it's interesting. It's, uh, <laughs> okie dokie. I, I think that just about uh, covers it. Uh, I wonder if I might have a sip of that. Yes, of course. Well, I'll tell you what, kids, uh, we, there's a uh, kind of odd thing here. You, your wrist, as far as I can tell, is uh, it's fractured in three places. And uh, you've shattered uh, two vertebrae, because I, I can't really be certain without an x-ray, but uh, the, the uh, bone protrusion through the skin, that, that's not a good sign. And uh, <laughs> your body temperature's below 80, and your, 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 your heart stopped beating. What the hell does that mean? Exactly. Exactly what I think. I'm going to get a second pigeon. Doctor. <laughs> well, it could be worse. I'm examining myself. No. Oh, Sit still. Me. Don't touch me. Oh, my God. That's right. He is not right. Don't be ridiculous. This is what incredible. Mean if he were right. You're in violation of every natural law that I know. I'm, I, I violated what law? In violation of every natural law that I know. You're sitting there, you're talking to me, but you're dead. I'm going to get help. You're he in violation. He sees dead people, yes. Um, but fortunately, everybody else does too. Um, so, wow, I love that line. It's one of those, like... I, I, I have not rewatched the trailer, but I'd be shocked if that line oh, yeah. wasn't in there. You're in violation of every known yeah. law. Yeah, I, I have it written yeah. down. Uh, and then after this, he goes and sees that all the doctors are tending to Sidney Pollack, who's like having a heart attack. Oh, how <laughs> brilliant. Sidney Pollack, he plays it. It's like he 
plays it so straight and there's such a build and Meryl Streep I mean, again, is amazing in this scene when he's bending her hand all the way back and she's like, it doesn't hurt. She's got the thermometer sticking out of yeah. her mouth. Like they're playing it so straight They're pl- that it's so funny. That's I mean, when Sidney Pollock damn, shows comedy. up in things for these like small roles, like in Tootsie and stuff like that, like he always stands out. He's in there just enough. He gives you exactly what you need, and he's out of there. Yep. I mean, literally. He, well, not literally, but he, yeah, he dies. So, yeah. Well, well, that's true. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, such a such a great scene. Yeah. So so all right. Going back to you know what we were talking about before with bringing this movie back, Dan. Like, what would you do? I mean, we, I know we were kind of joking a little bit about the cat, the cast of Ocean's Eight, but like, well, that's just the recast. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, first I was thinking about the musical because obviously uh, it, it makes a good choice. Of course, you then you kind of have to work around. Like you, you have to kind of think about all right, how essential are the visual effects? And answer no. I I think you can do this and keep what has kept this movie alive i think it's like the characters i think the performances i think you have to get and this is where the casting comes in i think Kristen chenoweth is a fantastic choice but not as madeline uh rather i mean like i'm all for stunt casting and in broadway especially when you can reunite uh famous stage teams and i'm referring of course to adina menzel um known to john travolta as adele nazim and adele uh, dazim dazim apologies the Um, one and only adele dazim Um, and Kristen Chenoweth, I would put Kristen Chenoweth as Helen and Adina Menzel as Madeline and just like, let them go. I mean, shit, make the scenery edible because they are going to have to chew it all up. And I, I mean, you know, on Broadway, you can do a lot more with you know, between with the lighting and with the the acting, like you, I don't think the special effects are going to matter as much. And I'm imagining the two of them, like imagine a musical number, like, you know, you paint my ass and I'll paint yours, you know, um, like something like that, I think would be a lot of fun. So I would love to see the musical. Um, it would be interesting to make to remake it as a movie and perhaps remake and adapt it into a musical movie, um, you know, kind of like, again, with John Travolta hairspray, um, but maybe even skipping that Broadway stage literally and um, mm-hmm. figuratively. Uh, and so I was thinking about and I was also thinking about putting it on stage, um, but with like drag performers in the roles. And I mean, like, I'm not talking about like an off-Broadway French, I mean, like on Broadway, Uh um, you know, perhaps on film with drag performers. And I would love to see what John Cameron Mitchell would do with it, either on stage or on, or on film. And I mean, John Cameron Mitchell, who gave us Hedwig. Yes. John Cameron, many other things. 
Yes. Um, but I'm really, I'm thinking about someone who both knows, who knows theater, who knows film, who knows drag and who's going to be like an acceptable choice. Like I, like Rob Marshall would not be my, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Rob Marshall would probably be the next name on my list. And that's not close. I feel like I would, I would really be interested to hear John Cameron Mitchell's thoughts on it. Um, I feel like a remake with, you know, act like, you know, yes, with the Oceans 8 cast, why not? Uh, uh, and I don't know who you'd put in for, uh, you know, put in Edward Norton uh, in in the Bruce Willis role. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I don't know. Well, I like whatever. I like Edward Norton. He's great. Um, also in Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't Kate? Was Kate Blanchett in Moonrise Kingdom, or she's also in the Wes Anderson universe? No, Tilda <laughs> Swinton is in. Oh right, yeah, Moonrise Tilda Kingdom. I think Tilda in the Swinton. role that Kate Blanchett would have been in, probably. I mean, Kate Blanchett's she in Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic. Mm-hmm. I can't probably remember. She's in Isle it. of Dogs and Meryl Streep is in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, yeah. Wow. We could anyway. So, I mean. <laughs> shit maybe wes anderson should remake it or the other idea i had is what if you did a you could do a prequel and you would kind of i i don't know that i don't know that would be worth it because what makes this movie work are these characters and how are you going to like what's the point of doing a prequel if you're only just going to do like a half-baked remake where it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know, like different casting or it's, you know, okay. I, I don't know. I'll tell you what you would do what for it, a prequel because that's where your my idea? mind went. Yeah. Okay, so, great. All right. We know that Liesel is actually 71 years old. So yes. she would have taken the potion in 1920. <gasps> What? Would you do like an interview with the vampire type deal with this? Because no, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. I think that there would be, you know, there is an unavoidable vampire, you know, connection to be made because, you know, in order to be a vampire and stay a vampire, I think that there's some, you know, part of it does involve creating new ones, but. Do they ever establish what they're drinking in this? Like no, but that's what I'm talking about. Okay, all is right, John, that, take it away. Is that there is this this woman who is you know, it's 1920, and uh, I think that there must there has to be some sort of like deal with the devil or something. You know, it's like somebody and and the thing is like I wouldn't want it to be marketed necessarily as a death becomes her prequel where it's like its own movie but you can make the connection if you're just if you know this movie you'll be like liesel von rumen that name you know like and and you'd have to find somebody who's who resembles isabella rossellini obviously but also it's like but the the deal is in order for your youth to to remain you have to get more people to take this potion and what they don't know is that their their souls are tethered to the devil or something like that 
Um, but there's a there's got to be a reason why she's getting people to drink this potion. I mean, yes, she's getting a lot of money from it, but that house that she has can't be cheap. So I wonder if it's like every because it's like 10 years. It's like you get 10 years where you get to like be out in public and then 10 years you have to fake your death. So I wonder if like if she gets like 10 years. Oh, what was I just thinking of? You could tie it into like the Spanish flu pandemic and <laughs> maybe like this is how she's could she's be. spared if you're going to put it in um in 19 in like 1920 or 1920 terms yeah it it ended in april it ended in 420 april 1920 um so that that was the i guess that was the declared end of the um 1918 influenza pandemic right yes interesting could do something with that but that's just where my mind went because like I wouldn't want this movie to be remade. Part of what makes it special are Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. Like, and to a certain extent, Bruce Willis also. But it's like, you can't do it without them somehow being involved. And let's face it, Meryl Streep's not going to want to do anything with this movie. She didn't, you know. Oh, but she- what if they produced What if they produced the, the Broadway? I mean, like, Broadway is going to need some benefactors to come back strong and they're going to need some like we're going to need some big shows so i think fucking adina menzel and Kristen chenoweth in death becomes her because as we've seen with the producers and it didn't work when the for the producers on film but Uh as we've seen with the producers and in fact with uh hairspray as well uh when it first debuted on broadway with harvey fires i think it was harvey firestein who took over the role for divine of uh the mother in in edna uh, turnblad in hairspray um john waters again shout out maybe like you know what if like what if meryl streep and goldie hawn produced this this broadway version i think adina menzel Kristen chenoweth that's your your big names and i think that um as i was talking about with those other film to broadway adaptations that's how you can put other actors in those roles without really having you've got some basis of comparison like someone who's really familiar with the mel brooks film the producers when they see the the broadway show you know you're not gonna get zero mostel and gene wilder at least one of them was dead by the time that show um premiered but there's also like not as much of an expectation because you know you're going to get something different. There's songs. There are, um, you know, it's why even like it needs to be a musical adaptation because even just a staged. Speaking of Bruce Willis, speaking um, a a stage adaptation of a film, which was an adaptation of a book, Misery. Mm-hmm. I would imagine really failed. Because, I mean, first of all, how do you do it without James Caan? He's the master. But, um, or Kathy Bates, who can define that role. Yeah. And I'm not saying they should have done it as a musical. I'm saying they shouldn't have done it at all. But when you present it as a straight version, you're presenting it's like the same thing. So you're expecting something even closer. It's why I felt The Graduate on Broadway didn't quite click. 
mm-hmm. in its form. Had it been a musical, it would have been a little easier to accept somebody else in the iconic roles of Benjamin and and Mrs. Braddock and even yeah, Elaine. Yeah, and here's a here's an area where you certainly are more familiar with that world than I am. So I, you know, you know better to to make these judgments than I would. So about what? <laughs> oh, to say that something would work maybe better as a musical than it would oh, just as a I straight mean, drama. I do have a bachelor's degree in theater arts from Rutgers University. So no big deal. when John says I'm qualified, he knows what he's talking about. So, you know, <laughs> NBD, man, I think honestly, I think it would be a, it would be awesome. And you could still, hello, you could still cast Lady Gaga. Yeah. Who by far, uh, you know, that is, that's an amazing casting choice. And I wouldn't want to waste that casting choice. And like, let's put Lady Gaga. If she in was more down movies. to do it. That'd be great. Oh, she'd be so. Although, you know who would be a great second choice? Erica Badu. Oh. I'm thinking of um, uh, What Men Want. That's right. I was like, what was she in where she was like a spiritual. Similar yeah. type of character. Yeah. In What Men Want. So I'm thinking like she Erica was Badu. Oh my which, God. She was ridiculous in that. That was a fun movie, though. <laughs> Okay, you just uh, reminded me of something that I noticed when I was looking at, I think I was scrolling through Stars last night, the Stars app, and because um, I tried to uh, cancel my subscription, they were just like, hey, how about like six months for like a dollar a month? And I was like, well, how can I say no to that? And um, oh. yeah, Stars, they never want wow. you to, to stop subscribing. They will do whatever. They know so how to get uh, you. I noticed that there was a documentary called... I wasn't just clearing my throat for dramatic effect. I just needed to. (laughs) A documentary called The Black Full Monty, which was about... Have you heard of this? I saw it. I had it on my notes for like a couple of episodes ago to bring up as a one more thing. And it didn't happen. I think it was like the Gabrus episode. I had it Uh in my notes. And then I was like, I'm not going to interrupt gabrus to bring up the black full monty but <laughs> yeah but I, I just i just saw it last night as i was scrolling through and um I, and oh, i was so like glad. i was like oh my god i and that's just to go along with the idea that the uh the term the full monty has transcended its original meaning to now mean in the buff I, and it's a real it's like a documentary right <laughs> yes yeah so yeah it, it's similar to something that we would propose uh yeah on this uh yeah, totally. So on this anyway, podcast here. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think that that we've got some good ideas there. None of these are going to happen. We'll. I mean, who knows? We'll see well, if the you're musical, listening. The musical the, still could happen. I mean, Broadway just. I, I mean, I think I heard that it's going to be reopening in the in the near future. Here's what I would like to see happen. Ideally, I would like to see the um, wealthiest of celebrities kind of divide and conquer where some of them take care of buying all of the the closing cinemas um, in California. And then the others focus on building Broadway back up. So... And Meryl Goldie, can we put you down for <laughs> um, A Death Becomes Her remake? We'll see. Can we? 
We'll see. Let us know. Email us. Meryl, Goldie, anyone else who wants to go in on this, um, hit us up. Ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Uh, you could visit us on Instagram at ruinedchildhoodspod. Uh, yeah, we'll have links to everything in this episode's description. We set up a link tree. So if you go to... Oh, yes, we have a link tree. Uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash ruinedchildhoods. It brings you all of the ways that you can... Uh, get in touch with us and buy our merch oh, and yes. so on and All so forth. Nice. Many paths to explore. Yeah. Dan, do you want to let everyone know what we're going to be doing on the next episode that will be released on May 4th? Yes. So, and that buildup would lead you to believe that it's Star Wars, but no, this is a longer standing series, a longer standing Much franchise. Longer. And something that has not been revisited as recently so we'll we'll look into the past present and speculate about the future of zorro that was that <laughs> was me z. making the z <laughs> yeah with the sword I, I i'm looking forward to it and uh because there are so many properties to cover in the zorro verse dan and i are going to be splitting up uh which ones we're all going to watch because there are a lot of them are available on streaming platforms and there are certainly going to be ones that we're not going to have time to cut to to check out but there's so many different incarnations of 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 zorro don diego yeah don diego i'm pretty excited about that um and uh, I don't have a, a clever travel phrase to attach this to, but Dan, I'm just going to wish you a straight up good journey. Yes, John, a good journey to you as well. <laughs> <laughs>